shops and down at the beach. They're all different shapes and all different flavours. Come along with us. Hello, I'm Tanya. Sarah and I spoke with Phil in the garage of the local hotel. Phil's involvement in the music and the pub scene in Fremantle goes back to the birth of Mojo's. Now he's part owner and manager of the local hotel. Phil has a young family living in South Fremantle. He reflected on the challenges of managing a workplace and raising children today. So sit back and let's meet the neighbours. Coco, my wife and I, we moved to Scott Street uh, at the end of 2010. It was, I remember it quite well because our first uh, child was due and it was due in a couple of weeks and so it was about a week before Christmas. Um, perfect timing. Yeah, perfect timing. <laughs> Coco was heavily pregnant um, and well, we basically made an offer on the house a couple of months earlier the day we first went basically on the market and was uh, the first showing, we walked through and loved it. It was beautiful, it was well maintained, the garden was immaculate, nothing like it is now. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it was just such a beautiful street and a beautiful, yeah. South Beach, is, you know, particularly the dog beach, has always been my favourite beach, even when I didn't have a dog. Uh, I just always, it was, I guess, a, a little microcosm of Fremantle. It has everything in it. It's a bit crazy, it's a bit, you know, there's all walks of life and yeah, I just always enjoyed the life around it and I would rather sit there than that and than sit at Cottesloe Beach any day. And how many kids do you have now? Uh, we have two, uh, my son Archie and daughter Olive who are now four and six. So yeah, I mean obviously it's all they've known um, but it's a, you know, I guess one of the things that appealed was that it just seemed like such a an ideal place to, to bring children up and it has been you know I guess we tend to live a lot in our front yard as you may have seen <laughs> um, and but that's it, such a great way to interact with the community isn't exactly, it? exactly yeah the you know I feel like the, the neighborhood knows us and our children and there's you know there's a, there's a sense of place in that um, that's really important and I think it's helped them socialize remember Archie when he was very young when he could you know barely walk and talk he would just sort of call out to everybody that walked past and it's not I guess it's the sort of thing you can't do in every neighborhood. And you grew up in? I actually I, was, I grew up in Quinana. So did you come to Fremantle as a teenager? Absolutely yeah I guess it was always that thing you know, I'm, I'm 45 now and it was obviously the closest centre and I guess through childhood, it was sort of you come with your parents shopping, and then the, I, mean, I have good memories of the America's Cup. I was a teenager, um, you know, catching the bus up and feeling that and the excitement of that. And then when I was old enough to go to pubs and clubs, you know, spent my weekends here as well. Yeah, I remember coming to the markets a lot, and, and even you know the sort of the old Coles, that I think, became the spotlight and that you know, that building. And, I remember those things as well. Because the the shopping has changed such a lot. Very much so, and you know, obviously that's a, a, a broader issue. It's, it's definitely affected Fremantle in a negative way, but it's, it's a broader trend. And has the pub scene changed? Yeah, very much so. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, it, I, I guess it, it's changed for all sorts of reasons, but it's it's not an easy time. Um, we've been fortunate here at the local. Um, we've definitely 
I guess, saw an opportunity because the way people's tastes had changed, the way the neighbourhood had changed and what was existing here probably wasn't catering to that. Um, and yeah, it was a really good opportunity to take some of the lessons I'd learned elsewhere and, and seen in other places, seen some things that were going on that weren't happening here perhaps, um, and the lessons of the growth in small bars. Um, so what do you think you're offering now that's different? I think it's an updated pub version, I guess, with, I guess, hopefully keeping the comfort and the warmth of a local a corner pub. There's something very warm and inviting about a corner pub. Um, so that's what you want to hold on to. But what you probably what I wanted to get away from was probably some of the darkness and some of the, that heavy feeling that, that some pubs can have in that way. That it's a little bit... Where did you go to school? I went to uni for a few years, a year of geology, which I did actually get kicked out of. Um, Why? Just through not really caring. Um, you know, okay. I, I, I enjoyed surfing a lot then. I used to, I missed the whole winter basically because I'd just go off and enjoy myself and not go to university. And um, so non-attendance was a problem. But then I guess when I got kicked out, I was like, what do I do now? It was that I still had nothing I really wanted to do. I had a friend who was enrolling in town planning, so I thought that'll do. <laughs> and I did three years of that. I've got to say I never really loved it, and I didn't particularly want to work in the industry. And towards the end of it, I just had a thought that I really wanted to go travelling. So probably looking back, a, a, an easy way out of it was to get a job bef just before the end of it with the reasoning that I wanted to go travelling, but I was, I, I've got to say, I was a little scared that I wasn't going to pass it at the end. <laughs> so <laughs> it, was, it was a little cowardly, I guess. Um, I ran away from it, but I didn't want to do it anyway. So I, I definitely knew that. And so that took me overseas for a few years, but mainly basing in London and then working in theatre. Yeah, all sorts of backstage roles, which was very interesting, the West End of London, and, and you know, a great time of my life. Um, and I guess yeah, a few years of that coming back here and some again you always take on things while you're away I met people who were doing interesting things they were promoting shows DJs you know that sort of stuff which then I got back here and worked sort of various small retail things just to get by and then I just started putting on my own shows um, at Mojo's, um, sort of mix, mix of DJs and bands, um, and, and they went quite well. Uh, I got to know a lot of people through that. I got to know Phil Stevens, who owned Mojo's at the time, um, and he gave me a job booking all the, the live acts and DJs for the venue as well. Um, and then just, I guess, that expanded and I worked in other venues as a DJ and, and promoter, put on weekly nights in pretty much all the venues in Fremantle at some point, um, yeah, which obviously enabled me to get to know a lot of people around Fremantle as well. And out of that, I landed at the Norfolk. Uh, when they opened up the Norfolk basement, I was invited to, to book the entertainment there. And um, that went quite well in the, in the 
the beginning and I was offered a, a job as a manager, a bar manager upstairs in the pub, which was, you know, I'd never bought a beer before, so it was quite a challenge at that point. Um, and I got to know, I guess, this side of the industry, the, the bar side of the industry quite well. I had a great education there. Uh, the owner, Gary Gazzatti, who you know, has been the business owner since the late 80s um, at the Norfolk, and he was a, a very good person to learn from and I guess equipped me with what I needed to do what we've done here at the local hotel. When I came back from London, I moved into Howard Street. So that was a really good time, I guess, in Fremantle for me. I, maybe I was just younger, <laughs> but it did, I think there was a certain, there was a, a bit of energy around sort of music and culture and the, and the retail things were all working. There was, they were sort of probably pretty vibrant days. And after that, I guess, you know, that lasted for a little while. But the early 2000s, I feel like it started to probably, the retail things started to struggle. I remember there was a moratorium on new licenses at some point, sort of in the mid 2000s. Liquor licenses. Yeah, which really blocked Fremantle from getting involved in the early days of like the small bar things, which I think would have improved some of the, the nightlife issues, not fixed things, and that, again that's just my opinion, um, but I feel like Fremantle lagged behind an area, say like Mount Lawley, which became pretty vibrant, obviously heavily involved in mojos at that time. Um, Riverson were, I don't know if any of you remember them, they were fantastic. And it was the sort of starting period for John Butler. Um, there was, I guess there was all, you know, there was funk bands. There was a lot of almost dance-based things like funk, ranging through to electronic stuff, which, you know, yeah, Proton, Ribosome, and lots of really good DJs that sort of started around that time, like Paul Malone as well. Um, and that, there was, a, I guess, that created, out of those acts and, like-minded people, um, obviously Mojos, and then Fillimores was also, I guess, a big part of that time. It was a, a really fun sort of um, collective of people. I guess that you, you have those strong ears and everyone sort of disbands and moves away, and, and there's plenty of great acts that have come, followed after. I mean, I was fortunate enough to be involved uh, at the Norfolk basement for a long time. I booked that, the acts there for 12, 13 years. And to see bands like Tame Impala, um, you know, from the very, before they were even Tame Impala, when they were called uh, the Dee Dums, you know, the, to see them progress to being what they are now, you know, those, it's great to see those things and there's still those, those things are happening still. What else is going on? There's still bands, great bands, starting out of nothing. And where we are now, this was the bottle shop. Yeah, yeah. So we, well, we we call this the garage now. It has a roller door and things like that in it. Um, but it, it, yeah, the bottle shop as a business, as part of the business, when we took it on, we immediately identified that it wasn't necessarily a good part of the business. With Dan Murphy opening up around the corner. Um, yeah, 
some air that we didn't think would be that profitable. And to be frank, we didn't want to run a bottle shop. We felt that it could be used for something else more interesting that um, fitted with the other things we wanted to do here, you know, in terms of the food, the accommodation. Um, do you have live music here? We've had a little bit. We don't have much. We are, you know, I guess I recognise that we're in the middle of a residential neighbourhood and it is restrictive in that sense, but I, I understand what... How the you know how the neighbourhood has changed, and even going back to when the Sea View um, was a real hub live music, I, I know from the people who were running it then, from from Tony Wilson, who uh, was the publican then, the issues he had with you know I guess not was too young to enjoy the I guess the, the real peak of the Sea View, which was the 80s, um, but that's certainly the, the the time that most people come and reminisce about the venue and they come into this space because this was built as the renovation in here was initially done in the 80s um, by like, Mr Gare, the father of the Gares um, and obviously the Jammed Hearts with his daughter, the daughters played in here but that's when this extension or this part over here was done, they took the wall out and uh, pushed that backwards there. Looks great now. Yeah, so it was yeah, built as a band room. Then it was to converted into a bottle shop. But there's lots of Fremantle children of, of children of that era who have great memories of climbing these things, these poles. That, yeah, so you get lots of adults coming. I remember coming here and climbing that and watching bands with my parents. Um, so it's nice to have that connection as well. I've got two two partners in the business, Ross McPherson, he's a, a band manager, he looks after acts like Xavier Rudd, mm -hmm. um, Seth Century, June Rats, sort of, you know, pretty, I guess, uh, prominent Australian acts, and Phil Stevens, uh, he's, he's a part owner also, and he also operates in that world, he uh, represents John Butler, San Cisco, the Waves. At the time, Ross was living in Sydney, and it was Phil came on a bit later. But we have spoken about this over the years, Ross and I. And I um, obviously, I, I used to see this building a lot. I'd drive past it every day or ride past it. And it was Nick from the South Beach Hotel, tell the owner down there, who told me that it, the business was for sale. Um, and he's a friend and. He came with me and we actually looked through it um, just over two years ago. And yeah, it was a little daunting when I first saw it. It was a bit dark and a bit, yeah, there was a fairly oppressive feel about the whole place and the accommodation in particular. I guess it's three couples, essentially. Um, my, my wife, obviously, and uh, Phil Stevens' partner, Anna, and uh, Ross's partner, Anya. Um, yeah, we all took the opportunity. I guess it was something that I thought well, might be a fun idea to get everybody, you know, to, to give us that feeling of ownership and interest. Um, yeah, we all had a little sort of unofficial competition of doing a room and seeing mm -hmm. whose was the best. I don't think we ever really decided whose was best. Well, but, who would decide? <laughs> um, but the, the result was great. You've worked your way up a couple of times. What do you look for in staff? The staff members that 
show an interest, that are, you know, look outside of the, the immediate things that they have to do, learn, you know, just by being around other staff, their jobs. So it, then it becomes natural, I guess. You know, I guess, I can't quite put it so into words, but it's, it's just people who show that level of interest and that level of care about, you know, the conscientious sort of thing that some people have and some don't always. And um, I Do you find it difficult to get staff? Uh, it's not difficult to get staff. <laughs> it's not always easy to find good staff. Um, and I, you know, I guess it's probably talked about a lot, the, the, the changing nature of you know, a different generation of workers and younger workers and obviously we deal with a lot of people in that sort of 20 to 25 age bracket and that has changed a lot in the last 15 years the the, the general willingness to work amongst that age bracket and the, the you notice the difference yeah you know I guess people talk about entitlement that that you can feel that a bit you know, that people have a they don't have the expectation that they have to work quite in the same way uh, they don't I guess when I I always felt lucky to have a job yeah, and not everyone probably feels like that. Um, but it, we're all a product of our our upbringings and the time. So, so I, I don't necessarily blame them for it. I don't blame them for it. When I was thirteen, I worked. I bought a pumping petrol, you know, at the local service station. Um, you know, and I guess it was that thing. Yeah, there was always an expectation of at least earning my own spending money. I didn't have to draw on my pants. And did you have to do chores at home? Yeah, we always did chores. No, I'm not too heavy because I guess at that age we always did work on the weekends. Uh, I worked, I also worked at Kmart, I worked as a brickies labourer in my uni holidays. Yeah, so there was, hopefully I was working hard enough that I didn't have to do too much at home. <laughs> I see the challenges now, you know, when I, when I talk about entitlement and, it, you know, we live in a time, I guess, where I feel like I, I'm really conscious of how much my children get just naturally from everywhere, from you know, parent, from us and from grandparents, and there just seems to be a lot of they get a lot. Um, and I don't want to deny them things, but I, I, it's a balance. And obviously, you've you know, you've got a young child, and it's yeah, it's, it's a real. I can see where the issues come from. Hopefully, I can. <laughs> navigate that um, and, and bring the children up in a way that they are appreciative of the, the things they have, the life they lead, where they live. Um, but it's a hard thing to instill in people when it's all they know. And, you know mm. This to them is normal. Me, my, me growing up in Quinana was normal. And I guess a lot of people would say, oh, look, that, that would, I guess Quinana has a reputation in a certain way. Um, I loved growing up there, you know, and because again, it's all it's all you know. There was nothing wrong with it. But how to avoid that sense of entitlement? Yeah, and, and it's a tough one because they have nothing to contrast it against. Um, as much as you can show them. Oh, those people that be passing the street. You see them at the shops and down at the beach. They're all different shapes and all different flavors. Come along with us. Let's meet the neighbors.
red, walking with the mice, talking and laughing, and they'll never be light. There's a mother and a baby with the dog on a bike, flying down the road. Oh, what a sight. The lovely old lady has a rest on the bench, straight across the road on the way to the beach. She's always got time for a smile and a chat. Oh, the dogs love her, cause she'll give them a pet. People that we pass in the street, we see them at the shops and down at the beach. They're all different shapes and all different flavors. Come along with us, let's meet the neighbors. Let's meet the 